0: Welcome to episode number 143 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and injury handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have back on the podcast Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering, based just out of Dayton, Ohio. In this episode, we're talking about dust hazard control for groups of concrete silos. Uh, Matt has over 30 years' experience in process engineering. He's uh, experience with dust hazard analysis, instant investigation across several industries. So Matt, I want to give you a big thank you and say a big welcome back to the Dust Safety Science podcast today.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's uh, good to be back.
0: I'm excited to go into this topic. As I sort of mentioned in the last episode that we had Matt on, which was 138 Dust Hazard Control for Grain Truck Loadout Bays. The audience for the podcast really likes these detailed, you know, specific topics, if you will, specific applications looking at specific end uses that generate, process, or handle combustible dust. And get some ideas out there about how to actually tackle these things. What kind of challenges are going to come up? What kind of safety systems need to be implemented? What things should we be thinking about? Um, and after our last interview with Matt, he kind of suggested to me that he had been doing a lot of work on these groups or banks of concrete silos, um, and he had some lessons learned that he wanted to share there. So that was a you know a great idea for a topic. So that's what we're going to go in this episode through. In this episode, we're not going to go too much into Matt's background because you can get that back in episode one thirty eight. But we are going to jump into what the process looks like, why would large banks of concrete silos be used, what are some of the main challenges, and then talk through some of these focus areas and these challenges that might come up, and close out on any recommendations for these operations that are containing concrete silos with regards to combustible dust. So Matt, with that kind of being said, I guess, can you describe the processing operation that we're talking about and where you know the audience might see large banks or, or large groups of concrete silos being used?
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, Primarily, concrete silos are used in the uh, grain and agricultural business areas. And a typical process that you'll see uh, will start with an unloading pit where trucks will dump their their grain into a pit, or it could be a rail car. And from that pit, there'll be a a conveyor that uh, goes through a tunnel to feed a, a bucket elevator that will uh, in turn feed a, a series of conveyors along the tops of these concrete silos. These silos are very, very large and are interconnected. So they're made of a, of a single concrete, single concrete uh, system that uh, shares walls between silos. They have uh, a large concrete deck roof, typically, and uh, the conveyors are mounted on top of that roof that is feeding these silos. Underneath, you will typically see slide gates uh, that, uh, sometimes you might see a rotary valve, but this is typically done with slide gates, to one of several types of conveyors directly beneath the silos, usually in a tunnel underground that will in turn feed another elevator that takes the material away, or it might go to an inclined conveyor that either takes the the grains to further processing downstream as at a corn mill or an oil seed extraction plant uh, or if it is a remote grain elevator, they will take it back out to a truck loadout facility.
0: You can already see the different processing operations we have, right? We have bulk storage. We have um, horizontal conveyance. We have vertical, or you know, conveying upward with bucket elevators, getting it into the silos using the the conveying system that's up there, unloading into the the tunnel underneath. If that's you know the kind of style they're using. So you see there's a lot of processing equipment in terms of just moving the material around. And then there's whatever happens downstream from that, you know, if they're processing or milling or or whatever application it is. I just want to highlight that there are a couple of kind of, you know, general places you might see this. So you mentioned one, like a terminal, if it's a ship unloading kind of area. So you may see these large banks of concrete silos. We have one, you know, maybe 20 silos just uh, five minutes from my house here in uh, Nova Scotia. You might see it in that case, or you might see it for the facility as a way to keep product flowing, to keep the operation flowing, so they can store up on the raw materials that are coming in and make sure they're not slowing down. You know, the, running out of material basically to you to use in their processing operation. Say if it's corn milling. Any other sort of use cases that you can you know you've come across that I've missed with those two categorizations?
1: Uh, no, that pretty well covers it. You will, however, see uh, often these these banks of silos can run anywhere from a minimum of four and up to hundreds and hundreds of continuous concrete silos. And uh, dealing with systems of that size can be very, very tricky. Another thing that is often a little bit unique because of the geometry of these silos, you think of putting four circles together, there will be a fifth space interstitial in between where the three circles come together that's kind of a four-pointed star shaped and they will use that as a fifth bin which is even more difficult to to get uh, to get to no space is wasted no space is wasted
0: then I mean, you, I mean you mentioned some of the challenges already just you know anywhere from you know say dozens of silos to hundreds of silos the walls are shared often between the silos or even have this area where that that space in between might be utilized as well. What, you know, high level and then maybe we'll dig deeper into some of these different areas. What, what are the kind of challenges that might come up in these type of systems?
1: Well, the, the primary difficulty with the concrete silos is that it's, it's really impractical or often impossible to provide any sort of explosion protection for these because they're very, very large. And the concrete itself does not lend itself to supporting explosion panels. So typically with a metal bin or a dust collector, you will see these uh, explosion panels mounted on the side that relieves the, the pressure as an explosion builds. But in a concrete silo, these explosion panels, which are metal, When you try to mount this onto a wall of concrete, that concrete will spall and the panels will lose their integrity. They will not hold to the appropriate pressure. So uh, generally, you will will never find explosion panels on the side of concrete silos. The concrete itself just just does not support that. Another issue is um, you can't suppress them either because the size, the space, the headspace that you're dealing with is much too large to be able to handle with a chemical suppression system. So without that, you quickly run out of options for uh, explosion suppression in these large silos. To make matters worse, having shared walls, shared roof, uh, these systems, once one has an incident, it tends to carry to the next to the next to the next and it causes a chain reaction of events and if you see photos from the aftermath of a, a combustible dust explosion in a concrete silo system you'll see that the entire roof area has been destroyed uh, in some of these systems and it's very very dangerous especially considering that operations needs to access the top of these silos there may be somebody up there at any given time, doing maintenance on the top on the conveyors that run the length of the tops of the silos. You can design them with a, a weak roof sort of design, but keep in mind you're piling equipment on top of that, which which foils the attempt to, to protect a, a silo with a weak roof. And then add to that, you have to have personnel access to that roof.
0: Yeah, and I, I was trying to search while you talked to, to find one of these images of, uh, of these concrete silo banks where you see the top blown off every silo consecutively. I haven't found it yet, but uh, I'll probably find one when we're talking about.
1: Well, I, I can point to several. Uh, the main one to point at is West Wego, Louisiana from 1977, I believe it was. And in West Wego, Louisiana, there were 31 fatalities when a bank of concrete silos exploded. Yeah, one of the worst incidents in in history. Was that
0: in 78, 79, 80? 78,
1: somewhere around there, yes.
0: There was a a number of large-scale grain elevator explosions in those couple of years. And that's kind of what led in, from my understanding, to the development of the the, um, OSHA grain handling standard. But that's probably a whole different podcast topic. So we mentioned a couple of things here. We mentioned explosion protection is difficult in terms of um, venting. Uh, explosion protection is also difficult in terms of suppression just the, the 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 head space is so large the surface area i guess the circle part of it's really large that makes sense we talked a, we've talked on the podcast before and i don't have the episode number about um, using a, a weak seam roof as an option but the biggest challenge that we were up there was exact having equipment up there having workers up there that those are all challenges that come up we did have a we did do a podcast interview way back in episode 13. So, 130 episodes ago. Um, so, that is a year, almost two years and a half years, with a Port Aqua explosion in Jordan. And we had uh, Ali Al Nashtawi on the podcast, who was a fire investigator for that explosion. Um, unfortunately, a number of workers from the demolition team were fatally injured. But they, they had the other side, so the tops of silos didn't explode. They had a, a explosion the head hose that went down through the bucket elevators, down through the tunnel, and came up from the bottom of the silos and then sort of blew up the side of the silos. From my understanding, the workers weren't in the silos, but they were cutting and, and doing demolition work inside the tower and, and taking the bucket elevators and that apart. So it gives, there's lots of multiple points for ignition to start, and then it can kind of travel through all these pieces of equipment. Are there any other high levels? So we have exposure protection by venting, exposure protection by suppression as being a challenge, um, operators being on the equipment. Any other areas that you make sen- think it makes sense to go into in more detail?
1: Yeah, one uh, other thing to consider is detectability. So generally, when you're trying to suppress an event that occurs in a smaller system, such as a dust collector, you will look for, a, you'll have a spark detector or pressure sensors in that case in in the case of a concrete silo those types of detectors are are insufficient what you're primarily looking for and generally the source is going to be hot spots that occur deep in the silo often very deep in the silo that are difficult to impossible to detect and often it's not until well after they've run uh, material out of one of these silos uh, after, after a period of days that they'll find charred charred grain, whether it's corn or soybeans. Particularly, you'll see this with corn, uh, especially if the corn is wet, that it will begin to decompose over time in the silo. And the, and the operators, the, the plant will be completely unaware of it until they're running that material and they'll come across a large a large spot of char from inside that silo so the ignition source doesn't even necessarily have to come from outside of the concrete silos it's caused by the the material itself that's stored in the silo if it is in there too long and especially if it is wet it will decompose all on its own providing its own ignition source
0: Okay, so we have those sort of four areas. Let's let's go into them in a little more detail. I mean, what starting with the explosion protection by venting and I don't know if that's going to move into explosion protection by suppression as well, but let's talk about those in a little more detail. What solutions are there out there? What kind of things can facilities be looking at or the, even the consultants that are working with them?
1: Yeah, generally, you find nothing done. And the the vast majority of concrete silos out there, some will have explosion vent panels on the roof. Uh, These are really meant to be maintenance access panels, but they'll make them weak-pinned. But generally, you will not find sufficient surface area from these to adequately protect the silos themselves. And really, that's all you'll often find. The key thing that, two key things that uh, industry will try to do to avoid issues within these concrete silos. First is isolation is key. Isolating the silos from an event in the bucket elevator, uh, and that is typically done through a chemical suppression system on the outlet of the bucket elevator. However, you'll find, especially when you have hundreds of silos, isolation of the silos from each other or from the discharge drag conveyors that run across the tops of these things is generally just not done there's all with a drag conveyor you always need an open silo at the far end because the you can't block in your drag conveyor so the last one is always open then you'll have slide gates under the rest that are usually they're often manual and that means that at any given time at least two silos are open up through the slide up through the conveyors themselves so isolation from upstream is important. Some you will find especially with smaller silo systems that they are connected through a dust collector or through the through the drag conveyor the drag conveyor itself will be then be connected to a dust collector. An important thing to uh, to emphasize there is that dust collector if you're attempting to aspirate the the conveyors feeding your your silos or even the, the headspace of the silos. You can never, you never want to put that dust collector on the roof of the silos because it's that dust collector itself. When there's an issue in the dust collector, it will blow out its own explosion panels and launch a fireball down the length of the concrete silos. And that's the last place you need to see a fireball along the length of the silos themselves because the roofs of those silos, that's a flat plane of concrete where often you'll see dust and and grain piled up. Uh, If it's not properly cleaned, now you've created a fire on the roof of the silos. Often, Those silos have gooseneck vents on the top of them. So now you've created an ignition source that can set off the entire chain of concrete silos. So it's very important that the dust collectors themselves are not located on the roof. And I have come across places where that's been done. But that's something you absolutely need to avoid.
0: And what would the alternative be? Would it be to duct it to the the ground? To the ground.
1: Take it to the ground. The dust collector needs to be on the ground adjacent to the silos that cannot be on top.
0: And it, it probably is worthwhile saying, make sure it vents in a safe direction on the ground too, <laughs> not towards workers or catwalks and stuff. Correct. Okay. I mean, that gives a good idea of the considerations for venting and suppression in terms of some other options. So we talked about isolation. You talked about bucket elevators are, are generally a little bit easier to isolate. The silos from themselves is more difficult. The drag conveyors on top of the silos is also difficult. Um, and we talked about the dust collector as well and had some really good um, points on, you know, not having that on the roof, but also keeping that isolated from the equipment. Anything else on this explosion protection side or the suppression side before talking about operators and, and folks up on platforms?
1: Well, actually, uh, one key point I want to bring up is a little background on why concrete silos are used in the first place. Oh, well, this would be good to know. <laughs> if um, if they are used the way that they were intended, which is as short-term storage, uh, then generally the problems are, are avoidable. Because the primary source of ignition, as long as you're isolating from your bucket elevator, the primary source of ignition, uh, as I've mentioned, comes from the grain itself as it begins to decompose. And that's something that occurs over a period of time. Concrete is used for storage of grain because when you're turning grain over, soybeans, corn, uh, it's very it's very abrasive. And that abrasive corn and grain, uh, soybeans, as as you're turning over these uh, storage silos again and again over a period. Within a day, you may turn it over multiple times. That's very abrasive. So if you use steel, and often you'll see large, large steel bins for this. Steel is for long-term storage. Silo concrete is used for short-term because it, the concrete can withstand the abrasion of turning over the grain multiple times where that would wear through the walls of a steel bin very, very quickly. So if you're turning over your silos often, and, in, and by often I mean in less than three days, you need to have that. Whatever was in that bin needs to be out of that, out of that silo and on to the next part of the process. If you're storing grain for more than a period of, of two to three days, then you shouldn't be in a concrete silo you should be in a steel bin and a steel bin is easier to protect with the weak roof seams that the concrete oh silos God. cannot do so that's the key problem it's when silos are used for lo- when concrete silos are used for long-term storage that's not what they're designed to do
0: i guess kind of winding back the goal of this part is really to avoid ignition sources that in the silos themselves we talked about avoiding ignition by explosion coming from elsewhere now we're talking about ignition in the silo and smoldering and combustion being, you know, the leading, one of the leading things that causes that. This is a really good, you know, indication that it's not being used properly. If the material is being stored too long and it's leading to smoldering combustion regularly, then it's probably, you know, you're probably not using it um, to the, the best advantage. Plus, you're going to be burning up all your all your product at the end of the day as well. Do you see any monitoring done for smoldering combustion? I'm thinking either temperature probes or combustion gases.
1: Yeah, temperature tends to wash out. It's hard to see the hot spots in terms of temperature because sometimes these smolders can occur deep within uh, a silo. And these, of course, are large vertical uh, piles. So if it's in the middle of the pile, you, you can't really detect that temperature. More often, what you will see are gas monitors looking for CO2 or co Coming off of these smolders, so these these uh, hot spots as they occur will start to give off that uh, those combustion products. and you'll start to see that whether it's a smoke detector, uh, which would be great for detecting a fire if it's close to the top of the top of the bin, or a gas detector to uh, look for increases in CO CO2.
0: If you do see that technology being used, I mean, would you mention that, you know, maybe that's sort of a, I don't want to say a band-aid, but I can't think of a better way to say it. Um, you know, that it's probably better to have that material cycling through so you're not getting that smoldering. Uh, is that something that's worth sort of bringing up?
1: Yes, that is absolutely true. You need to be moving your material, and if your material is moving at a reasonable pace, in other words, if you're turning over your silo at least daily, then... These problems are unlikely to ever occur. But if you're leaving your material in your silos for a week, a month, then the probability is suddenly very high that you're going to start to decompose, especially if the material is put in there wet.
0: Can you just talk a bit about that on the... The grain movement side mostly I'm, I'm kind of greedy because my background is not really in the ag industry, so I, I can see using the material up, but are there ways to actually have it flowing inside so that you're like when you're trying to turn over are you talking about you know all the material that went in is now owed or is there actually ways to to dry and reduce the chance of smoldering through using some mechanisms in the silo
1: you can dry it and yeah a lot of, and often you'll see this in a uh, in these remote grain storage elevators where uh, they will install a grain dryer uh, which is a, a large device where they'll often uh, they'll often directly fire these things with propane right there on site and that is used as the material is feeding the silos they will dry it first and the reason you're doing that is is this very reason you're trying to keep it from decomposing. So that you can increase the storage time in the actual silos.
0: That's pretty good. I mean, it's really helpful to hear that information. You're going to get different needs from different companies, right? Like if you have a really large company, then they're going to have different needs than a small country grain elevator. Um, and trying to, you know, encourage the proper use of these type of systems is really the the focal point. Um, what's the next focus area that we were going to talk about?
1: As I was saying, the the key the key thing just keeping the uh, keeping them turning over. Keeping the roof decks clean and doing that maintenance on the top of the silo is also uh, very, very important uh, because you don't want to have an external fire on top of these. Another thing that you need to consider because this is a very tall system is, is of course, lightning protection. Really, anywhere that you're dealing with a bucket elevator uh, outdoors, then you you should be designing that with appropriate lightning protection.
0: And I remember some of the old reports, like 1920, 1940, The U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture and a couple other groups had done some some looking at these grain explosions, and uh, they had somewhere there's a table and it has the ignition sources, and like half of them said they were ignited by lightning. I don't know if I believed it or not, but it was it was pretty early days, so I think when they couldn't find ignition source, they they attributed to lightning, but uh, it does happen that. You know, lightning will strike these taller structures and be ignition source. Just the proportion seemed a little bit um, off to me, but that's that's okay. <laughs> this is back in like the 1920s or 40s.
1: Well, one of the key things about the lightning strike is, as long as the elevator itself is uh, is grounded, is properly grounded, designed for that, it, it shouldn't be a problem. The problem comes when the top of your when the top deck of the concrete silo is isn't clean. And you leave piles out there from doing maintenance work on the drag conveyors. And that's typically when you'll see that happen. So you've left something up there to burn, ready to burn, just waiting for that ignition.
0: And it must be quite an endeavor to keep those clean, right? If, it, if you're talking dozens or hundreds of silos.
1: Yeah. It is. A, it's quite a chore.
0: But you do see it. And there's, there's lots of videos available where you see the fire start and then you see the drag conveyor just pull it. Along each silo, and you see kind of deposit on top of of each one as it goes. um Yeah, it, then then you have a real problem on your hands. Then you got to try to figure out what to tackle first and responding to that fire. And maybe we'll talk about response here in a minute. But was there one of the larger challenges you talked about was sort of operators and keeping people out of that area? Now we're talking; they got to be in there and clean it. Is there any sort of key lessons that you've seen from your work or things that you've noticed that might be helpful for people to know in that that regard?
1: Well yes, in terms of operator access to the tops to the, what they call the headhouse, uh, and a, the headhouse is generally a, a structure at the top of the silos that runs the length of the silos, and that's essentially where the drag conveyors are uh, are kept. Now, often these days you, you more often see those without a, a building or structure over it. but uh, in in some systems you'll still see that headhouse. Access to that needs to be limited to your maintenance operators. They do need to go up there on essentially a daily basis to make sure that it's kept clean, to make sure that it's operating properly, and there's there are no surprises uh, up on the roof. But you don't want to have frequent access up there. So that needs to be constrained.
0: That makes sense. Didn't really prep you on this one on response to fires and maybe the answer is just call the fire department. But, uh, you know, if you start to sense, even if you start to determine they have smoldering in your silo or even if you start to get an open flame and open fire in the headspace, like are there any sort of general guidelines that people should be thinking about things they shouldn't be doing?
1: Yeah, the, the thing to do Well, what you need to do is if you detect a smolder or if you start to see smoke coming out of the vent on uh, the vent port, if it's an open port on one of the silos, is you need to empty out that silo. You need to get that material as a priority onto your your discharge conveyor and take it away. Get it to a storage pile on the ground or just just get it out of the silo. And that needs to be done as quickly as it can practically be done.
0: Yeah. And a couple, I'll, I'll mention a couple other things that I'll pull, I'll pull the resource while we're when we move on to the next part of the topic, but there's a, a good resource on response to fire fighting and grain storage silos um, by Henry Persons, I believe out of Sweden. And he talks about a couple things, right? Like this isn't really concrete silos. It's, it's all silo structures, but you know, you want to avoid punching holes in the side of it to try to get access to that smoldering material as much as you can because that's where you can have a back draft explosion occur. That's right.
1: You're just giving it air.
0: Yeah, exactly. Give it air. It's it's oxygen deficient in there when the smoldering combustion is happening. So as soon as you add air, that's when, when the explosion can happen. You really want to avoid having people up on the silo when there's a fire. Even firefighters uh, need protective gear, need lanyards. We've had several cases of firefighters being fatally thrown from platforms when an explosion happens. I we you want to get the material out quick, but I, I would even say you got to go slow too. <laughs> you don't want to be kicking up dust while you're trying to get stuff out of there because that's that's a challenge and a hazard. Just rattling off a couple that come to mind. I'll pull up the Henry Persons report. Anything else that you come across that makes sense to to talk about?
1: Uh yeah, that's generally the main thing in you know fire protection will be brought up occasionally should we have a, a deluge system in at the roof of the silos, that sort of thing, but you just you do not see that because water is not not what you really want to have up there. And you, even with a wet system or a deluge system, you're not going to put out a smolder fire that's occurring in the middle of one of these silos, in the middle of the pile, because you can't get the, the firefighting media, the water, you can't get it down into those interstitial spaces. So the only way to deal with that, to keep that fire from growing or spreading, is to get it out of the silo.
0: Yeah, and I'll even add, if you do put water into the wrong material um, and it expands, then you may knock over the silo, which will give you a whole other set of problems, or you know the walls might fall over. I don't know if the concrete silos, maybe they're strong enough, depending on the material, I suppose.
1: Oh, well, they, they can fall over, uh, or pieces. It's not necessarily the whole silo that falls over, it may be a wall.
0: That's another good point. I mean, we're kind of rattling off random good points, I guess, but I would, I, I just got the link to this uh, report, Silo Fires, Fire Extinguishing and Preventative Imperative Measures. Um, and I'm just sort of thinking of the things we go. One other thing he really talks about in there is siting. So your fire response team, you want to have them away from the silo. Just like Matt just said, if, a, if it does have an explosion, you could have a large chunk of concrete coming down. So you want them to be back as few people as possible in the vicinity of the silo hopefully really it'd be great to have no one up in the air. Um, but if you have to have somebody up there to keep things cool and that, then then you just need to be aware of the the possibility of an explosion or deflagration.
1: Well, what happened in the West Wego event back in 1978 was that one of the silos, it fell over onto a building that was adjacent to the silo. And that's where the fatalities occurred. So uh, because of that, in the standard, you'll see that uh, the design for these silos you are not allowed to have a building within 50 feet an occupied building within 50 feet of these concrete silos so now they're they're generally surrounded by a fairly wide open space
0: yeah and it it makes sense cuz that's the something happens and then hopefully we learn from it and make it better over time but we we tend to forget also as a community so that's that's almost our role at dust safety sciences let's not forget the things that we've already learned so the last sort of thing that I had to just note here that I wrote down with a question mark as you were talking through is, is windows. I'm not sure if it's as applicable with these these large banks like hundreds because there's no space between the silos. But I do recall some of the older concrete silos, at least the towers, using the windows as as sort of the venting um, parameter. So when you had an explosion you blow up the windows and you make sure that trap is not an issue, but at least you don't have structural damage to those towers. Do you have any experience with that or is that just something that, you know, maybe isn't used as much anymore.
1: Yeah, that's something that would happen up in the headhouse above above the top. But by that time, you've you've blown open the roofs of these silos, and what you're going to find is there's not enough space just to go through the roofs of these silos to adequately vent the entire silo.
0: That makes sense. I think that might be more in the in the other some of the other buildings or parts of the silo. I know just enough about silo explosions to to probably. Um, mess up some of the 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 parameters so people that are you know interested there you definitely reach out to matt and his team at adf or some other folks that can help them kind of get along with their safety programs and relate to this Um, i guess kind of moving towards the end of the interview then matt what any any other final thoughts or recommendations or information you think someone needs to know about if they're dealing with these type of concrete silos and these large banks
1: So keep in mind, these concrete silos are meant for incoming whole grain storage. They are not meant for finished meal, finished uh, feeds, that kind of material, which is much dustier, needs to be kept in a different, whether it's in a smaller steel bin or whether it is in our on flat storage in a bunker. Uh, that's where you want to keep your your meals, your DDGs, that that sort of finished grains. The concrete silos are only designed to be used for whole corn, whole soybeans, whole grains, not for the finished products.
0: Yeah, that's a really great, really great uh, point. I actually, the other question mark I had beside windows was the dust. Is there a process from which you can remove the dust beforehand? But you're actually saying even a step before that, you shouldn't be storing the dusty products in those concrete silos. You should be storing the raw products that aren't dusty. Great. Well, that's that's a 30-minute crash course on dust hazard control for concrete grain silos. Um, I learned it or concrete storage silos. I learned a ton, Matt. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast again, and I appreciate you coming on the previous episode to talk about grain loadout bays. Uh, we'll have in the episode show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 143. Um, we'll have Matt's email and links to the ADF website, and I pulled a bunch of resources. Well, I say a bunch. I pulled the podcast episode from the Port Aqaba grain silo explosion with Ali Al Nashdawi. The images from the West Wego Texas explosion, just so you can see those. And if you Google West Wego explosion, you'll see there's there's been lots of information published on that over the years. Um, this Henry Persons report: silo fires, fire extinguishing, and preventative and preparatory measures. So, Matt, thanks again. I'm forward. Hopefully, we can get you back on the podcast to cover another really interesting topic in the
1: future. All right. It was great being here. Thank
0: you for having me, Chris. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk soon. So, you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering, based just outside of Dayton, Ohio. We've been talking about dust hazard control for groups of concrete silos. So, Matt did a really good job explaining what this sort of process looks like, generally used for, say, a storage terminal or for storage of a uh, raw materials that are going into a processing operation, like a corn mill or a, a meal facility or something like that. And you sort of outline what the process looks like. So you have an unloading pit that would get conveyed up to a bucket elevator, which would take that material to the top of the concrete silos. Then using a drag conveyor, or some other horizontal conveyor, it gets dispersed and put into the silos themselves. At the bottom of the silos would be a slide gate or maybe a rotary valve, more commonly a slide gate, I think Matt mentioned, which would go to the tunnel, pull that material through, um, the tunnel and then you have another set of conveyors to either load trucks if that's what the use is or to go to the processing operation uh, matt mentioned a bunch of challenges on these concrete silos and they can be one and they can be you know dozens and and hundreds i haven't seen a hundred silo bank but uh, <laughs> that, that sounds really big and you've mentioned some of the challenges as well that you may be storing material in the I don't know if interstitial is the right word but we'll we'll use interstitial the space between the circles if you will in the silos so they're all really this you know, big, tightly packed group of pretty heavy concrete silo structures. So that's sort of the first you know, challenge, just the number of silos, the scale of the storage processing operation. Um, and then we mentioned specific issues with explosion protection, in particular venting and suppression can be very challenging. Um, we talked about smoldering and how to avoid the ignition sources inside of the silos. Uh, we talked about operators and firefighters and response to fires. And sort of, I mean, from the ignition side, you're looking at three categories. You want to isolate the concrete silos from the conveying equipment. So in that case, isolating the, the bucket elevators uh, might be the best option. It is difficult to isolate from the drag conveyors on the top just because there's so many of them. And uh, they're an open system, I think, on that last silo. Uh, Matt mentioned that. But that's sort of what you're looking at to keep the you know ignition sources and the explosion we propagating into the silo. It's really how can we isolate it from the other equipment. Then you have ignition sources inside the silo. This can be smoldering combustion. We really talked about the main defense here is to actually have your material cycling faster, not keeping it in the silo. Um, that's not really the real intent here. Not having dusty materials, having sort of your raw products, um, not your, your milled products or things that you're producing. But the raw products that are coming, say from the field, they're from the the transport trucks coming in. You can use a you know a dryer to get that dryer beforehand, um, and you can also use some sort of systems like temperature probes are really tricky because you can only measure one point, and the fire could start at any point in the silo. And smoldering combustion is the other option that you can kind of look at there, having um, gas detection monitors. But at that point, you've already really made the mistake you really should have the material flowing and cycling so that you don't have that smoldering combustion so that was the ignition sources inside the silos then you have ignition sources sort of on the silos so dust accumulating on the top dust accumulating in the drag and conveying system on top um, dust collectors maybe that have an explosion that are attached to the silo these are all things you want to avoid as well to avoid having a fire that attaches itself to the silo that can lead to an explosion as well we spent really the rest of the podcast episode talking about operating conditions um, keeping the silos clean keeping workers out of there when you can keeping your first responders out. we sort of shared a whole bunch of just uh, brainstorm on response to dust fires and I mentioned a couple of resources there they'll put in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in this topic anymore you can shoot me an email at Chris at science.com um, you can also go to dustsafetyscience.com/143 that's the episode number of links to uh, where you can connect with Matt and where you can connect with the ADF team and also all the the kind of resource that we mentioned in this episode. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Um, I appreciate everything you're doing in handling combustible dust, making them safer every day, and have a safe and uh, productive week out there.